Welcome to the very first ever Feel Good Friday, where every Friday we'll have a really short episode sharing a story that hopefully will make you smile or perhaps cry or maybe give you goosebumps. But most importantly, we hope it makes you feel good. For our very first episode, I wanted to tell a story that I heard about from my friend Cheryl. And after hearing this story, I had to make it the first one in our Feel Good Friday series. This is the story of Lawrence Anthony, the elephant whisperer. Anthony, a conservationist, environmentalist, and best-selling author, was head of conservation at the Tula Tula Animal Reserve in Zululand, South Africa. Anthony was known for his unique ability to communicate and calm elephants that had experienced trauma. He received a phone call from an elephant welfare organization saying that there was a herd of wild elephants 600 miles away at a reserve that were going to be shot unless he was willing to adopt them. Said Anthony, they had a tendency to break out of reserves and the owners wanted to get rid of them fast. If we didn't take them, they would be shot. As it turns out, the matriarch of the herd was an amazing escape artist and had worked out how to break through electric fences. And this caused tons of problems as the elephants would surely be killed by poachers if they weren't protected. Knowing that these animals were violent and hated humans due to past mistreatment and the execution of two members of their herd, Anthony agreed to take them in. The first herd to arrive were violent. In his book, The Elephant Whisperer, Anthony talks about his desperation to fight for their survival and earn their trust. When they arrived, he said, they were thumping the inside of the trailer like a gigantic drum. We sedated them with a pole-sized syringe. And once they had calmed down, the door slid open and the matriarch emerged, followed by her baby bull, three females, and an 11-year-old bull. Last off was the 15-year-old son of the dead mother. He stared at us, writes Anthony flared his ears, and with a trumpet of rage, charged, pulling up just short of the fence in front of us. His mother and baby sister had been shot before his eyes, and here he was, just a teenager, defending his herd. We had erected a giant enclosure within the reserve to keep them safe until they became calm enough to move out into the reserve proper. Nana gathered her clan, loped up to the fence, and stretched out her trunk, touching the electric wires. The 8,000-volt charge sent a jolt shuddering through her bulk. She backed off. Then, with her family in tow, she strode the entire perimeter of the enclosure, pointing her trunk at the wire to check for vibrations from the electric current. As I went to bed that night, said Anthony, I noticed the elephants lining up along the fence, facing out towards their former home. It looked ominous. I was woken several hours later by one of the reserve's rangers, shouting, The elephants have gone! They've broken out! The two adult elephants had worked as a team to fell a tree, smashing it onto the electric fence, and then charging out of the enclosure. They had somehow found the generator that powered the electric fence around the reserve. After trampling it like a tin can, they had pulled the concrete-embedded fence posts out of the ground like matchsticks and headed north. The reserve staff chased them, but had competition. Anthony described what happened next. We met a group of locals carrying large caliber rifles who claimed the elephants were fair game now. On our radios, we heard the wildlife authorities were issuing elephant rifles to staff. It was now a simple race against time. Anthony was able to get the herd back onto Tula Tula property, but now the elephants were madder than ever. Anthony said, quote, 
Their bid for freedom had, if anything, increased their resentment at being kept in captivity. Nana watched my every move, hostility seeping from every pore, her family behind her. There was no doubt that sooner or later they were going to make another break for freedom. Then, in a flash, came the answer. I would live with the herd. To save their lives, I would stay with them, feed them, talk to them, but most importantly, be with them day and night. We all had to get to know each other. In the book, Anthony describes a turning point that took place. Says Anthony, It was 4.45 a.m. and I was standing in front of Nana, an enraged wild elephant, pleading with her in desperation. Both our lives depended on it. The only thing separating us was an 8,000-volt electric fence that she was preparing to flatten and make her escape. She tensed her enormous frame and flared her ears. Don't do it, Nana, I said as calmly as I could. She stood there, motionless but tense. The rest of the herd froze. This is your home now, I continued. Please don't do it, girl. I felt her eyes boring into me. They'll kill you all if you break out. This is your home now. You have no need to run anymore. Suddenly, the absurdity of the situation struck me, Anthony writes. Here I was in pitch darkness, talking to a wild female elephant with a baby, the most dangerous possible combination, as if we were having a friendly chat. But I meant every word. You will all die if you go. Stay here. I will be here with you. And it's a good place. She took another step forward. I could see her tense up again, preparing to snap the electric wire and be out, the rest of the herd smashing after her in a flash. I was in their path and would only have seconds to scramble out of their way and climb the nearest tree. I wondered if I would be fast enough to avoid being trampled. Possibly not. Then something happened between Nana and me, some tiny spark of recognition flaring for the briefest of moments. Then it was gone. Nana turned and melted into the bush. The rest of the herd followed. I couldn't explain what had happened between us, but it gave me the first glimmer of hope since the elephants had first thundered into my life. Unquote. Over time, over the next few years, a bond and a strong friendship grew between Anthony and the elephants. Now, flash forward many years later on March 2nd, 2012, Lawrence Anthony suddenly dies of a heart attack. Shortly thereafter, elephants started arriving, walking slowly, single file, and held a two-day vigil surrounding his house. According to the family, the elephants had been grazing miles away and walked for 12 hours through the Zululand bush to make it to Anthony's house, where they hadn't been for over a year and a half. So how did the elephants know he had died? They were grazing miles away. I think Rabbi Leila Galburner summed it up beautifully when she said this. A good man died suddenly, and from miles and miles away, two herds of elephants, sensing that they had lost a beloved human friend, moved in a solemn, almost funeral-like procession to make a call on the bereaved family at the deceased man's home. If there ever were a time when we can truly sense the wondrous interconnectedness of all beings, it is when we reflect on the elephants of Tula Tula. A man's heart stops, and hundreds of elephants' hearts are grieving. 
This man's also abundantly loving heart offered healing to these elephants, and now they came to pay loving homage to their friend. We are all connected. If this story made you feel good, we ask that you share this episode with a friend. Give us a five-star rating and write a review as this helps us spread good vibes to more good humans and maybe even elephants as well. For behind-the-scenes info, please follow us on Instagram at BetterPlacePraj. Aaron and I will be back next Tuesday as we are every Tuesday with our full format interview podcast. And we'll see you next Friday on Feel Good Friday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Feel Good Friday. Make the world.